everyone. Thanks for giving us your time today for VR Download. My name is Ian Hamilton, and I'm in the Upload VR Studios broadcasting to a live YouTube audience. I'm wearing a Quest Pro in the United States, joined by my colleague David Heaney in Northern Ireland. It is February 28th, 2023, and PSVR 2 is available now as Henry Stockdale and Harry Baker dive deep into the PSVR 2 library. We've got some late breaking news today from David Heaney. What are we going to cover today? Hello, everyone. It's good to be back for the entire show. So we've got a lot to cover today. The VR news piece is picking up again after the kind of normal end of year lull. We're going to talk about the Quest V50 update, letting you direct touch the system interface. Meta's Interaction SDK, adding a hand tracking teleportation gesture that any app can use. iFixit's PlayStation VR2 teardown, revealing that the panels don't have the full number of subpixels, they're pentile panels. The reports suggesting Meta cancelled a 2024 Quest. The report that Tencent plans to bring Quest 2 to China in a partnership with Meta. The open source demos that prove WebXR can be used for full VR games through a browser. And finally, the open source project bringing controller-free hand tracking to PC VR headsets like the Valve Index and HV Reverb G2. Yeah, a lot of stuff there to cover. We briefly mentioned it, I think, on the previous show, but it's good to cover these bases and make sure we're keeping up with everything. That first subject right there, MetaQuest V50, lets you direct touch the interface. So this is a long time coming. It's going to seem ancient that we inter interfaced with these uh, menus in this way. Honestly, uh, where do you think this, this is going long term over uh, sort of interfaces this way? You talk about whether this is comfortable. Uh, are we really going to be using these types of floating menus for the long term? Yeah, so I definitely disagree with you that the way we currently use hand tracking in VR will seem outdated in the future. I think it's more about convenience versus comfort, as you say. The current system where if you've used a Quest, you'll know you kind of point with your hand like this and pinch to select from a distance isn't very intuitive and can, for some people, be very frustrating. But that's really because the current hand tracking quality doesn't really suit it. The tiniest bit of jitter in your hands will cause a very large change in the selection pointer, which means you can't always select in detail what you want. But if you were to imagine a headset that may arrive in a couple of years that has near-perfect hand tracking without the jitter that's present in Quest hand tracking, I think that would be a lot more useful. And the hand tracking I tried at uh, CES 2022 was high enough quality that I could definitely imagine that it would be useful. Of course, it's much more intuitive to simply reach out and directly touch the interface like you see in this direct touch update, which is an option in V50. It brings the interface closer to you. And just as you would on your phone or your tablet, you can point, you can swipe and select and you know, presumably in future use uh, pinch gestures. The problem is, as you alluded to, you have this issue called Gorilla Arm. And this is a well-known issue in human-computer interaction research where holding your ar arms up like this for a long period of time isn't comfortable. And this is one of the reasons that touchscreen desktop monitors never really worked because you're constantly straining your arms to keep them up like this. It's almost a workout. And if you don't believe me, try holding your arms up like this for more than a few minutes and you'll find that it's just 
deeply uncomfortable. People are not going to be using systems for hours on end like this. But the, down, the, the counter argument to that is that most people aren't using the Quest system interface, the home interface for hours or even for minutes. They're just using it to quickly launch a VR app or to quickly change some settings. And if that's what you're doing, I think this is how people are going to choose to interact with it. You know, you just tap the app you want, you scroll through the app menu like this, and then you're in the app. But if you're trying to do something longer term, like, you know, using the browser or other use cases like that, I don't think people are going to hold their arms up in the air like that. Yeah, a lot of great context there. And we're going to go full circle, I think, with hand tracking. I'm going to hold my comments until we get to the the second section of hand tracking here uh, when we cover it. Uh, but there's that's not all, uh, right? You've got the meta interaction SDK getting hand tracking teleport gesture. And those are related, right? You know, those are both uh, big movements forward in hand tracking from the meta ecosystem. Do you want to, are there any comments we should respond to uh, as we throw up this video uh, from your your testing of this new app? I'm just having a look at the comments now. Some people are saying they prefer controllers, and that's a sentiment that I often hear. But I think a lot of people confuse the fundamental issues with hand tracking with the issues of the quality of hand tracking on current quests. No current Quest, even Quest Pro, is actually designed from a hardware level from hand tracking. We'll need to see headsets that have depth sensors or much higher quality uh, processors that can deliver a much better hand tracking quality before we can really talk about what are the fundamental issues of hand tracking and what are just the Quest hand tracking quality issues. Yeah, hi, Guy Godin, the Creative Virtual Desktop tuned in today. Thank you to all of our members and our supporters. Please do like, comment, and subscribe. Uh, support us in our journalism work here. Uh, great to have you back in the studio. I missed you. Um, hope you had a nice little break there. And then you came right back and went into PSVR 2 for days on end. Um, this next uh, you know, bit of news is surprising. But I was trying to to figure out like sort of what the significance is, and uh, I went into PSVR two since we last talked uh, as well, uh, right? So everyone on the team now has had PSVR two experience, and we were getting a sense of kind of how the library fits with the kind of sort of display and optical trade offs that they come uh, up with for for Sony's next generation system. Um, why don't you run through this for our viewers here on the PSVR two teardown? Um, I, I really had to read it a couple of times to get through it. So, uh, if you've, uh, got any questions out there about how this is breaking down, be sure to leave it in the comments and we'll get to it later on. Yeah, so this comes from iFixit's teardown of PlayStation VR 2. Sony did their own teardown, which was obviously very interesting, but they are obviously the company behind the headset, so they have a choice of what to show and what to focus on. iFixit took apart the headset, and I really recommend you go and watch the teardown that iFixit did, but this finding that we're talking about now actually wasn't posted in their main teardown video. This was something that the person who did the teardown posted on Twitter about. And they basically took a, a magnifying glass to the headset's panels, the OLED panels you see here on the left, 
And what they find was that it uses a subpixel arrangement called pentile. So pixels on a monitor or display are actually made up of subpixels. And on the vast majority of displays uh, and pretty much every LCD display, there are three subpixels per pixel, red, green, and blue. And so the combination of the intensity of those subpixels are what make up the colors that a monitor can display. The problem is that many OLED panels use a very strange configuration called pentile, where while there is one green subpixel per pixel, there are only half of the number of red and blue subpixels. And the reason that this is done is because of the li- the lifespan of different OLED subpixels is different depending on the color. And human eye can actually see more sensitively in green anyway. So they use a, a technique called subpixel rendering to convert a normal RGB red, green, blue input into an output. The disadvantage, obviously, is that there is a loss of detail because there are physically less subpixels that can make up these other colors. And I can kind of show you that if I show you a screenshot here from the CM Teardown, where you can see that there are less subpixels available to display the color red uh, and blue versus green. The, The original PlayStation VR that came out in 2016 was actually one of the only OLED panels shipped in a consumer product that did have the full number of subpixels. And Sony made a huge deal about this at the time in their marketing, and rightly so. Uh, neither the original Rift or Vive, nor the Oculus Quest, nor the Vive Pro that used OLED panels had this full RGB subpixel arrangement. So the while the PlayStation VR 2 has roughly four times as many pixels, if you're counting by pixels, when you actually break it down into the subpixels, the difference is not so extreme. It's still extreme, to be clear. This is still a big difference if you're going from PSVR 1 to 2 in terms of the detail it can show, but it's not quite as extreme as the raw pixel count would suggest. So it seems like since your technical analysis went live, a lot more people have really started discussing the look, the the, the filter, whatever is layered over to avoid the screen door effect on the PSVR2 display. A lot of people are discussing that now. And I, you know, upon putting on the headset myself, I did notice these trade-offs that you've discussed in your technical analysis, right? Uh, I'm, I I guess I struggle to uh, convey this to our audience in the right way, what these trade-offs mean, right? Like, if you decide to count by subpixels, the differences don't seem as large. If you decide to count by pixels, it is a, a much larger upgrade. And when you're inside the headset, you feel how much better it is. But what these things, this these types of uh, layouts and the differences between OLED and uh, other display types... Like those are massive experiential differences in large bits of content, and it can ultimately determine which headset people want to go and pick at the end of the day. So, if you want a uh, OLED with this type of layout, what content are you going to notice it in? Like, it, it's funny when we talk about green subpixels, like Horizon Zero Dawn. I can't think of a a greener game 
than that lush vegetation. Is that litter going to look better because there's uh, a difference in the number of subpixels there? Yes, green content actually will have more detail. And it's actually very funny that back when the original Rift and Vive launched, a lot of developers intentionally chose to make their HUD green for this very reason, because they knew that it would have full detail. So things like text are where you really see the trade-off of using a pentile arrangement. But you know, PlayStation VR 2 is not as focused on use cases where you would have text like the general purpose PC headsets and standalone headsets. This is very much so a gaming headset. So in many ways, it gets away with it because, you know, we're talking about the disadvantages of OLED here, but there are very huge advantages as well. You get these incredible colors that no LCD panel can match. You get this deep, infinite contrast, you know, technically near infinite contrast that can show all the way from pitch black to really, really bright white. And that's something that obviously looks incredible. But yeah, you get this trade-off. And you mentioned the diffusion layer. That's put in because OLED subpixels are usually smaller as well than LCD subpixels. So there's more space between it. But you don't actually see that because Sony put this diffusion layer. And you know, in, in plain language, it, it's a slightly it's slightly blurring the screen so that the pixels seem to subpixels merge together to fill out that space. And that's why you don't see the screen door effect that you would otherwise. So, you know, the, the end effect is you get amazing colors and amazing contrast, but that comes at the cost of some sharpness and detail that you would get in other headsets. And, you know, I still think for most gaming, especially for near field content, this is an incredible panel, but when it comes to games where tiny details in the distance matter, that's where you're going to start to see problems here. And, and something like Pavlov, for example, in some of the very larger maps, you start to notice that it is a little bit more difficult to see enemies out in the distance compared to playing on a, a similar resolution PC VR LCD headset. Dunadim, uh noting that they have been a member for 24 months, two years of bad Kyle puns and weird dad jokes. I really appreciate that comment. Thank you for being on this journey with us. It has been a trip. Thank you for breaking that down for us, uh, David. That's a hard subject to, to get across and go into. The, the blurriness and the way we describe that is incredibly tricky. I saw people talking about the sense that it goes away, right? Like if you, It's one of those things where you might only notice it if you stop to look at it. But if you, you, know, you get really into a game, the blurriness of the display isn't really a distraction i it, do you think that's the case yeah and i mean that's been the case for vr headsets for years you know th this headset is very high resolution compared to the types of headsets people used in 2016 or even back in 2014 you know i remember playing on vr headsets that were pentile oled panels that had a fraction of the number of pixels or sub pixels than this and still after a while if you're in a good enough game it kind of goes away and the content takes over because you're so engaged. Yes, it's obviously going to be one of those things that as soon as you put it on, you're going to notice it. But at the end of the day, a great game, if it's engaging enough and fun enough, you're not really going to start to care about these minor technical details overall, except, as I mentioned, in the case where you're trying to spot something in the far distance. A couple of audience questions I'm just going to take here. Uh, someone saying, you know, they make full RGB stripe OLED panels, why didn't Sony use them? So some companies technically make them, but not at the kind of density that's needed for PSVR 2. As I, as I said, there were only a very small fraction of OLED panels ever shipped in a consumer product 
that had RGB stripe. I think there was like the Samsung Galaxy Note 2 and then the PlayStation VR and like one other product and that was it. So there's just, that's not what the actual companies that mass produce OLED panels make. All the OLED panels in iPhones and Pixel phones and Samsung Galaxies, they're all Pentile as well. They're not RGB. So, you know, this is something that is very noticeable in VR because this panel is just magnified across 110 degrees of your field of view. But uh, smartphones and tablets kind of get away with it. Hmm. We ready to move on to the next subject here? I'm seeing a lot of great discussion this week about uh, various aspects of the displays. Is there anything else that we should get into there before we move on to this uh, this bit of meta news that I think people are probably pretty excited for us to talk about? Uh, I think some people are talking about the fact that you can get rid of some of the persistence blur by lowering the brightness. That that's you know different from what we're referring to. Um, the kind of blur we're referring to here is. I almost wouldn't use the word blur. I would use softness, and that's the word I used in my technical analysis. The image is a bit softer. It will apply even if you're completely stationary and nothing is moving. The motion blur that some people are spotting uh, can be reduced, as people are pointing out, by reducing the brightness. But that's not even the, the most prominent source of motion blur in this headset. It's the reprojection that we talked about last week. So if you're in a native 90 hertz game and you reduce the brightness, as I've tried doing, there's really... There's really no motion blur noticeable, for me at least, at full brightness anyway. So, I mean, yeah, technically, but it's not really the biggest uh, uh, contributor to motion blur at all. All right, well, let's move on to this next bit of news. I think people are going to be tuning in at this moment. I just tweeted it out again so that people could come in and uh, see this segment, this discussion live. To be clear here, Everything looks go on a Quest 3 launching later this year. And we have every expectation that it's going to be a generational major upgrade in terms of the processing driving that next generation Quest from the Meta ecosystem. What we're talking about here is something else, right? Yeah, so uh, The Verge is Alex Heath, who does a lot of the kind of scoop reporting around uh, Meta and some other companies, has said in his command line weekly newsletter that he heard of at least two early stage hardware prototypes, one codenamed Cardiff and the other Hermosa, that have been canned recently. Now, last year in May, The Information, a respected outlet that has reported accurately on Meta's moves in VR before, said that they had viewed a roadmap that showed that Meta planned to release in the next few years two mainline headsets, so that's the main Quest line, you know, Quest and Quest 2, and two high-end headsets, the first of those high-end headsets being the Quest Pro that has already released. Now, of those mainline headsets, they were supposed to come out in 2023 this year and 2024. The 2023 one is codenamed Stinson, and that's what is almost certainly Quest 3. The schematics that came out late last year that reported to show or purported to show Quest 3 were codenamed Stinson. So to be clear, we are not talking about Quest 3 here. There was another headset, as I said, the information said in the main line that was supposed to come out in 2024, just one year after Quest 3, codenamed Cardiff. And that's what's supposed to be cancelled. Now, 
as we said in our article, there are really three possibilities for what this Cardiff could have been. It could have been a Quest 4, where Meta would change from this three-year cycle to a one-year cycle like smartphones. It could have been a Quest Lite, so a headset that goes lower than Quest 3. Or it could have been a Quest 3 Plus, a headset to go between Quest 3 and the Quest Pro line. Now, I think it's extremely unlikely that it was Quest 4. It would not make sense to, to put VR headsets like this in a yearly release cycle because you wouldn't be able to bring the kind of dramatic improvements that are expected. Uh, Qualcomm's processor uh, refresh cycle for XR is just nowhere near fast enough. So you would see these incredibly minor updates that would just kind of dilute the value of Quest numbering. Uh, I think a Quest Lite could have been possible but again, it's unlikely because the mainline quests are already so stripped down and kind of basic in terms of the pricing. And therefore, I think the far more likely scenario was that this was indeed a Quest Plus, or a Quest 3 Plus, a headset that maybe added something like eye tracking so that it was part of the way between the presumably $300 to $500 Quest 3 and the $1,500 Quest Pro. Now, this theory was kind of backed up by a tweet from John Carmack, where he said that uh, he thought that canceling headsets like this was a good thing because focusing on products that would not be a success in the market would be a distraction for Meta. So that idea that it wouldn't be a success in the market definitely to me implies that this is something that would have been a higher end product to sit between Quest 3 and Quest Pro. Yeah, so what we're seeing over in Meta's ecosystem is they've settled on two product lines. They've got the Quest and then the Quest Pro, two very different value propositions and slightly different audiences that they're trying to target with each of those devices. And Mark Zuckerberg, CEO at Meta, has been very clear that they're working generations ahead on the next devices. They're thinking about what Quest Pro 2 and what Quest Pro 3 look like. And they've said previously they're thinking about what Quest 3 and Quest 4 uh, involve. And they got as far as putting eye tracking and face tracking into Quest Pro. But you remember John Carmack, now departed CTO, he's sort of been against or jokingly against a lot of new sensors. And the thinking was that it's going to take years of effort for developers and Meta itself to improve those fundamental features like eye tracking or face tracking in order to get them to be like usable in a broad mainstream sort of way, like to have them be a compelling thing as part of your experience. If, if that gets dropped from like the mainline quests, if they've realized that Quest 3 doesn't really need face or eye tracking, it doesn't necessarily make sense for a Quest 3 Plus to have those things either. It's It, it goes hand in hand. But uh, the other end of this that we talk about all the time is hand tracking. And when the transition will get made to a Quest or a Meta device that by default comes from them with just a headset and a box, maybe a charger. When When does that happen? And uh, what is your reasoning for that? So, yeah, I think the general consensus that people have formed is that Meta had originally perhaps planned for Quest 3 to have eye tracking and face tracking, but then instead decided that it was more important to deliver 
high quality hand tracking and mixed reality instead. So instead of the cost of those eye and face tracking sensors, they replace that with the cost of you know higher resolution color cameras and a depth sensor on Quest 3, like the leak schematics purported to show. And that means that, you know, it's very possible that Quest 3 will, from a hardware perspective, have hand tracking that is good enough for it to be sold without the controllers. But that's only one half of the equation as to whether that becomes a viable strategy. The other half is content. Right now, a very small percentage of the content on the Quest app store supports hand tracking. If you were to sell a Quest 3 without it, you would be limiting people to just this tiny fraction of content. I think Meta, what what we saw with that uh, hand tracking teleportation demo that was released this week and the other aspects of interaction SDK that Meta is trying to push to developers is this attempt to get developers to not build only for hand tracking, but to allow them to somewhat easily support hand tracking, even the most complex of titles, so that eventually the Quest store gets to a point where something like maybe 30 when Meta can start selling a SKU without the controllers. But until then, I just don't think they can really deliver that value without, given that so many apps would launch a prompt that says you need controllers to play this app. Well, I think we'll come, like I said, we'll come full circle when we get to our last subject on the, the plan for news today. I'll, I'll, I guess I'll save some of my commentary for, for that section. Let's, uh, let's move on to Tencent, uh, if we can, or is there any comments you want to reply to before we do that? Just having a look at the comments now. I think some people obviously lamenting the fact that without eye tracking, Quest 3 won't be able to support foveated rendering, which is obviously a big loss. Maybe that Quest 3 Plus, had it had eye tracking, would be able to kind of deliver that higher fidelity graphics with foveated rendering without going all the way up there. But, you know, as we've seen, the current generation of eye tracking tech can only really deliver about a 30% increase in resolution from foveated rendering. It's not so dramatic that it's something that I think would be completely essential in a mainline headset yet. Yeah, so to recap sort of our expectations, right? I think we're thinking it's going to have pancake optics. It's going to have a focus on higher resolution color pass-through to bring that feature down from the Quest Pro. We're That's that's it as far as I think what we can definitively say because the depth sensor is... Uh, you know, it was ripped out of the Quest Pro at the last minute. And there's been a lot of time that has elapsed since those schematics uh, initially leaked and where we are today, isn't there? Yeah, but I think the other thing we can pretty much say is that it, the processor will be significantly more powerful. The, the processor that's in Quest 2 and a variant of that processor is in Quest Pro is from 2020. And, you know, the, the, since then, mobile SOCs have improved significantly, so we could expect a roughly doubling of performance from Quest 2 to Quest 3, just as we saw a roughly doubling of performance from Quest 1 to Quest 2. And I think that's going to be the real focus. Pancake lenses, twice as powerful performance, and color mixed reality. So even if it doesn't get that depth sensor, it can still deliver on those three things. And the pancake lenses are really, really significant because they really feel like a generational leap. When I go back to a headset that uses Fresnel lenses, be it PlayStation VR 2 or Quest 2, it feels like going back a generation. When I use a Pico 4 or a Quest Pro, 
it's very, very clear that the clarity difference is just incredibly significant. It's instantly noticeable. And I can't see any headset past PSVR 2 from a major player using Fresnel lenses now that pancake lenses are available. Well, yeah, so let's talk about Tencent reportedly planning to bring MetaQuest 2 to China. So this is kind of a political and business decision on the on the side of various companies. It's kind of one of the one of the things that has um, evolved over time. You know, companies have changed their approach to how they do business in China. What is the what is the significance of this reporting? Yeah, this is a fascinating one. So earlier in the month, uh, Reuters reported that Tencent had scrapped its own in-development VR headset due to the high cost of the project and their projections that it wouldn't be profitable until 2027. That's kind of funny to me because a a four-year horizon for something like that to be profitable doesn't seem terrible. It seems like that's obviously a company that's focused on very short-term profits, which is... Yeah, so sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but like that would be, you know, I could imagine someone looking at that, that and going, what if they really mean seven or 10 years, right? Like maybe that was their initial target for getting the project approved. But like more realistically, it, it does take a longer term than that, I think, to get a profit out of VR. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's certainly one of those things. We've seen a lot of major companies refuse to make the same kind of investments that Meta made because they saw VR as being too far away and they still see VR as being too far away from a business that can be really profitable. And sort of Meta's thinking in describing VR as a multi-decade project is, is fairly unique in tech companies these days. We haven't really seen a multi-decade play for a very, very long time. Uh, so Tencent basically decided they're not interested in doing this themselves. They don't want to obviously have to not only invest in the hardware, but also, as Pico is doing, have to invest a lot and play a very hard game of matching content. Because not only would Tencent have been competing against Pico, but they would also, if they were going outside China, be competing against Meta. So it looks like, according to this report, this new report from a Chinese news outlet, what they've planned to do instead is partner with Meta to be the seller and supporter of Quest 2 within China. Quest 2 is obviously not sold officially in China at the moment uh, because to sell in China, a company needs to set up a local subsidiary or partner with a Chinese company. And so Tencent actually has been doing something very similar with Nintendo. Tencent is the company that sells the Nintendo Switch in China since 2019. It does the support. It partners with Nintendo to do localization and translation of content. And that's been going very well. You know, the sales of Switch in China since that have reportedly been pretty good. So the CM executive who actually worked on that Nintendo project at Tencent is now reportedly working on the VR project to bring Quest 2. And so the really interesting thing about this is that obviously last year we saw Pico, the Chinese VR market leader, expand to the Western markets of uh, Europe and some of, some of the other com- countries like Australia. And so this is this would, if it goes ahead, be the opposite. This would be Meta kind of coming straight back at Pico and saying that we're going to take you on in your home turf, which Pico actually hasn't done yet because Pico 4 is not available in the US. So I imagine if, if this does happen, uh, this will cause ByteDance, the company behind TikTok, which owns Pico, to have a real kind of uh, existential decision moment where they decide, 
are they going to rapidly increase their investment in VR and take on Meta not only in Europe and other markets, but in China itself? Or are they going to say that this is a battle that they're not willing to fund at this time? It'll be really fascinating to see what ByteDance's response to this is if it does, in fact, go ahead. You're muted. I want to throw up this image from Walkup Mini Golf's recent announcement of platform features, and they show Pico in Europe or global here, and then they show Pico in China over here as a separate column. And these, we, we're talking about global push of hardware companies when what matters so, so much to our users out there is software. And the thing that kind of, whenever we talk about companies going into or coming out of China and doing business, I always think back on the gap here between crossplay and DLC courses and their availability. You're not going to play in almost any VR game available anywhere against a person on a server in China. Is that correct? Correct. And that's the case for normal gaming as well. Uh, the online services of all of these platforms have a separate China version just because the Chinese government will not allow that kind of open communication with the rest of the world for obvious reasons of censorship and control. That's the case for Steam. There is a version of Steam that exists in China and it is separate. The, you know, the Pico store, as you say, in China is separate. If this deal goes through, Tencent will probably be the one that manages the version of the Quest store that exists in China, and it will not be the same Quest store that exists in the West. And as you said, those online services, as required by Chinese law, will be entirely separate, except, of course, for the Chinese citizens who decide to use a VPN. But, you know, obviously that's at their own risk, given the political situation in China. Yeah, potential repercussions. Uh, I don't understand what the laws are over there, the repercussions involved in doing that. But I think I always want to sort of address that kind of like an elephant in the room sort of situation about interplay between the West and the East. Like these companies are finding ways to do business across those borders, but virtual citizens can't have the same kind of uh, interaction. Yeah, this news is more significant for developers than it is for VR users. You're not going to get multiplayer VR games start being occupied by Chinese users, but developers are going to be able to, if they pay to translate their apps and localize uh, their apps for the Chinese market and they put it on, if this deal goes through, the Chinese version of the Meta Store managed by Tencent, that's an entirely new market of users developers can sell to. And so in a way that will have an indirect effect on VR users in the West because those developers selling more copies means that they make more money, which means that when they come along to their next VR game, they can have a bigger budget. They can have games with bigger scope, better graphics. They can employ more people. And that's the thing we always try to point out on this show is that, you know, if you want bigger and better VR games, VR developers need to have more people to sell those games to. And that applies to when there are more headsets, when there are cheaper headsets, and when there are new markets like China. Yeah, um, Matthew saying, yes, real gamers in China use VPNs. Uh, hello, Ali from Kuwait. Uh, I love hearing all the different countries that we have audience from. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. We do try to appeal to a global audience, even though I know as uh, English speakers that can be hard. But uh, we do try to boil things down in, in ways that uh, hopefully can 
make the translation uh, jump into various languages. Um, I want to talk about this WebXR demo, and uh, there's actually a couple of them out of Meta this week. I went in and tried out one of these demos myself and had a conversation with the developers over at Walkabout Mini Golf about the differences between what I saw in this WebXR mini golf game versus what's available on a platform level from Walkabout. And it's it's interesting to see how close and how far these things really come in different ways. But why don't you walk us through what this latest demo is and how significant it is? Yeah, so firstly, any of our viewers who are playing the uh, Ian Says Walkabout mini golf shot game are going to be very drunk this week again. I'm telling you, all right. So I'm, 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 I'm stake. I'm going to stake my, uh, my VR reputation on this one, I suppose. I was but go back to 2012 to 2014. I'm coming back to my editors at the Orange County Register and saying I got to do another story about VR. I gotta, I gotta find another way to write about this Oculus company that's right in my coverage area. Uh, they're just a startup at that point. Uh, Facebook hadn't come along. And I'm coming back to my editors, and they're sort of rolling my rolling their eyes at me uh, pitching these stories. And then uh, Zuckerberg buys uh, the company for all those billions of dollars, and it felt like the the ultimate "I told you so" moment. I really do think that the artistry and uh, the the story behind Walkabout Mini Golf is going to be at the very heart of the last few years of of development, right? Beat Saber was a killer, amazing single player game in the 2018 period. What I see in Walkabout Mini Golf is a killer VR multiplayer game uh, that cuts across genres in a way uh, that, that no other game does. And I have every expectation it's going to follow suit in that same, uh, you know, history uh that i've just outlaid there uh oculus beat saber i i think big things are going to come from this company so i just have to say that once and for all get that get it out there on the record that uh i i do think they're going to get acquired and end up doing amazing things if they keep keep up this project you know keep up this system of uh laying out new great dlcs now uh the flip side of that the reason i i, I focus so much on it I watched what happened in the Apple ecosystem, right? Those games went from being 10 and $15 at launch in 2008 to being free to play across the board with ads popping up in between every single experience. I don't want that in my VR games. And the entire market has disappeared over there for like high. Apple's had to go and fund it from the ground up to bring back some of these games that have been pushed out by other models. I don't want to see that happen necessarily to these quality experiences that are adding significant reasons to come back into the game on a regular basis. Like it's amazing. And people are gladly paying $4 for new, uh, new stuff. While we were in this show, one of the big games out there just went free to play. Population one is going free to play. Uh, that news broke while we're coming in here. Echo VR got axed. Uh, we are seeing, we are on the path toward there being a push towards free-to-play and there being models that are based around free-to-play. And I'm pointing to this, uh, you know, the Walkabout Mini Golf DLC system 
as being this just match made in heaven between people who have the money to spend, want to spend it, and then get kind of this great location in VR. How is that going to relate to mini golf experiences made in Horizon or even those built on WebXR? Yeah, I think the real strategic issue for Walkabout Mini Golf, as you kind of alluded to, is platforms like Horizon and VR Chat and Rec Room. It's unclear to me that if there are mini golf equivalents in those platforms that are free and that people already have all of their uh, friends on those platforms, be it Rec Room or Horizon or whatever ends up being dominant in the longer term, it's going to be very difficult to convince people to start paying for an equivalent, even if it is better. And as you say, that's pretty much exactly what we saw happen on iOS. But this story isn't about platforms like Horizon or Rec Room. This is about WebXR. And these two demos this week are open source demos that essentially prove that you could build a full VR game with WebXR. And if you're not familiar with what WebXR is, it's an open web API that allows web pages to display immersive content that can be interacted with by track controllers through the browser. So to access these experiences, you just go through the web browser on your quest. You don't have to download an app or install an app or go through any updates. The developer doesn't have to be approved by an app store. You just access it like you would any other web page. Uh, the one you see on the left here is called Project Flowerbed, and it's from Meta, and it's just a little game where you teleport around and collect seeds to plant and grow flowers and trees. And the one on the left is uh, Parad- Above Paradowski WebXR Mini Golf, quite a long name there. And it's just a mini golf game that is somewhat similar to Walk About Mini Golf, but completely free and access through your browser. To be clear, none of these are themselves full games. They are demos, but they are fully open source for developers to use. They uh, have you know, extensive documentation where they explain their, the process and the technologies that they use to build them that other web developers could follow along on. And they're just proving out this idea. So you know, the missing concept, the missing feature that's needed here to really make this something that we're going to see full games on is a monetization flow. If you're a developer and you publish an app to, to App Lab, you don't get discoverability, but you do get you know completely built-in ability to sell your game or to sell DLC in your game or in-app payments, and that's a really big appealing push. Whereas today, if you wanted to do a, a payment for your WebXR game, you would have to have the user put in their credit card details or sign into their PayPal or Stripe account. It's just not very practical. But Meta could in future theoretically implement the web payment request API so that they would forward through your payment details via your Meta pin. I think that's what's going to be needed to really see full games. But I would really encourage you to go to uploadvr.com and click the links to try out these experiences to show you just what is possible from your headset's web browser, not in native apps. You'd be very surprised about just how close to native apps these feel. And then you consider all those advantages of not having to download it. And I think WebXR is going to be a big part of VR's future. It just needs some extra parts that aren't really there yet. Yeah, I saw your questions uh, to Meta on this payments uh, situation, right? We wanted to understand what payments could look like. And that's that specifically brings me to where, where I'm thinking about this going, right? If you could have a URL for... Uh, Let's say 11 table tennis. I saw uh, Shala talking about 11 table tennis. 
and how incredible 11 table tennis is for uh you know vr based gaming right it's an incredible I, I i'm a big proponent of that it's i've reported on it uh i would argue it's the biggest table tennis club in the world uh people who are paying that single price to go and play games online in in 11 table tennis what if you could build a web page based version of 11 table tennis that maybe lacks some of the physical polish or some of the graphical prowess of the native version but you've got this instantly loadable demo that gives you a sense and maybe has hanging pains to show you what you get if you get the full game and then you could pay uh for the game using the web payments api and then wait for it to download in the background in this you know window that you've got hanging up in your space while playing the the demo version of table tennis and as soon as it's ready you you switch over i would think that's going to be the way operating systems for vr are going to operate in the long term but there's a big gap in getting there is am i on the right track there you think I think that's a fascinating idea, the idea of offering instant demos through WebXR. To get that in games, you know, demos that are actually demos of specific native apps, I think we're going to need to see Unity and Unreal have a WebXR export system. Because currently, Unity and and, uh, Unreal can export WebGL, which is the uh, rendering API based on OpenGL that non-VR uh, 3D web games use, but they don't have support yet for WebXR. That is a huge missing aspect. If you want to build these kind of apps, you need to use uh, JavaScript libraries. And you know, if you're not a web developer, that's a nightmare. If you are a web developer, you're probably going to be completely comfortable with this sort of thing. But game developers are generally not web developers. They're using you know C Sharp in Unity or C plus plus in Unreal. They're not used to the complete mess of JavaScript libraries and ecosystems. I think our our commenter here, uh, Kevin, points out another great potential use case of this, which is educational titles. So, for example, uh, museums could have a quick WebXR experience to show you certain things. Historical and educational websites could show you something via WebXR. A lot of these kind of mini experiences that don't really warrant building a full native app that you have to go all the way onto an app store and download and wait to install and update to use are ideal for WebXR. I don't, while these demos prove that you could make a full game in WebXR, I don't think in in the near term or even in the near horizon, you can really see that be something that's actually practical for developers. But smaller experiences that today kind of almost not to be rude, but almost kind of pollute app stores. Experiences that are, you know, 15 minutes and and 20 minutes are perfect, as well as 360-degree videos, you know, interactive experiences that essentially have you navigating around a system of 360 videos. Absolutely ideal for WebXR. That's the kind of thing I think we're going to see in the near term. Mm. Yeah, I think we've exhausted this particular subject for today i know we've got webxr fans in our audience that are very excited to see us talking about it and see that larger potential uh that that is available if it just grows and gets a little bit more developed um i uh yeah and it is funny that there is like there are certain categories of content that are going to be just an obvious fit right we you already talked about the 360 videos or 180 degree videos 
a WebXR delivery system for that makes a lot more sense. But I, I think just even on systems today, right, every other computing platform you've got, whether it be desktop or phone, you have the ability to save a web page as like a native app and pretend that it is uh, the same. But there's always, you know, you, you use these apps for long enough or f- you eventually notice little things that don't necessarily work. Some platform level feature that it doesn't have access to that you need to have access to that the native apps have. Those things are going to play out, I think, over the long term with WebXR as well. Um, but I I just I think over Meta is is the most public in how they're positioning themselves relative to this system. They talked about the meta account system being a place to store some entitlements. Now, within the last week, they've announced that they're going to do a meta verified program uh, where you're going to send in your government issued ID and get verified in that way. That's the return of the passport concept to Facebook's ecosystem uh, reborn under meta's larger banner um and both of those things right uh, a verified system a payment system um and uh they've even got the oculus or the meta browser right they've got all the pieces to build their ecosystem around uh a metaverse that's built in this way with webxr at its heart but uh it's there's a lot of things to get through if like reimagining what they've already shipped before we actually get there. Our commenter M sub two is saying unity does actually have an actively maintained package for exporting WebXR supported WebGL builds. I wasn't aware of that. I'll have to try it out, but you know, I I've definitely heard unity developers discuss this in, and I got the sense that, that's not something that's mature and there are a lot of limitations there. I'll definitely explore it though, but I would suspect there are probably a lot of limitations that are preventing that to be used yet. But hopefully that is something that's developed into a a more general purpose solution. Yeah. uh, There's a, I think there's people talking about adult content in our comments a little bit. I've seen a couple comments relative to that. I think that's something we're going to have to address and talk about because it's, uh, it's interesting the way platforms handle that differently, and we know that WebXR has a lot of potential for like just use across the board, unmanaged by content stores, sort of approval policies. Um, I think we're ready to move on to our last subject of the day, which is going to lead to the biggest discussion, I think. So an open source project is bringing hand tracking to the Valve Index. Valve Index is one of the most comfortable, well-loved headsets out there for the people that have the money to go and spend on that room scale system to equip base station boxes at opposite ends of their rooms in order to get that full room scale tracking. Uh, I'm You wrote this story about an hour before we came live into the studio and it uh it blew my mind a little bit at the potential here and the the things that could be being hinted at by this development but let's get you to recap what's going on here and then I'll get into my conspiracy charlie theories so this is a new feature added by the open source linux based 
VR and AR platform Monado. So they have done some amazing work on Linux. And they essentially, before this, built their own inside-out tracking system so that headsets like the Rift S and HP Reverb G2 could be used on Linux because obviously the drivers for those from the companies are these closed-source Windows-based drivers. Uh, that oh, that inside-out tracking system they built actually works on Index too. So when you use on Linux this Monado system, you can use an Index without the base stations, which is pretty incredible. But the news here is that they now have added a new component to do controller-free hand tracking. And it's not just the Index. The Index is the headset that is mainly supported, but it also works on the Rift S and on Windows Mixed Reality headsets like Reverb G2. Though on Rift S and Windows Mixed Reality, they say there are some quality issues that they plan to fix soon. They claim that this tracking is good enough for drawing, typing, and UI interactions. And obviously, the big kicker here is a lot of people are going to be saying, you know, I don't use PC VR and Linux. And I think almost no one uses PC VR on Linux. The vast majority of PC VR usage, the vast, 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 vast majority is on Windows. But they say that in the coming weeks, they plan to release this technology packaged into a Windows Steam VR driver. So their hand tracking tech Specifically it, not the rest of their tech, just the hand tracking tech is going to come to Windows for the Index, the Reverb G2, and the uh, presumably the Rift S as well to be able to have this controller-free hand tracking. Now, the caveat I would put here is that just because the technology is available, that doesn't mean that there's content available. Because Steam VR doesn't have any kind of native support for hand tracking, there are no headsets that have this controller-free hand tracking on PC out of the box without attachments like Ultraleap, you're not really going to have much to do. The The other side of that is that maybe this needs to come first. So maybe this does arrive for Windows and then developers that have put controller-free hand tracking into their Quest and Pico titles will then bring it to PC. Maybe that does happen. That's the optimistic use case. Maybe VR chat will support it. But we, you know, for now, when this does release, it's just technology there's not really a kind of content backing there just yet you know it's it's interesting to think about the 10 plus year arc of vr going back to the original sort of open source designs right google cardboard wasn't the first effort to put a vr headset in a cardboard box right it was an older project than than that and this idea of using parts that are already existing to make a VR experience is so appealing and it's been tried in various ways over the years, right? The Razer system had an open source design that you could go and pick, mix and match your parts. But what we've learned over this decade is that there is a minimum viable feature set where people aren't going to want this system unless it has these basic features. and you were pointing out that over on Linux, you could theoretically run an index with headset inside out headset tracking and uh, head tracking. And it's all based around OpenXR, open source technology, all the way down the core. There is a certain subset of people who may not have, you know, I'm picturing a very, 
uh, specific individual who hasn't left their uh, basement in 25 years and is surrounded by old boxes of PCs who is giddy at that prospect of of running a VR headset all the way from the ground up. But you need fundamentally to have sixed off head tracking and have both your hands in VR, uh, even in AR, right? It needs to be there for AR as well. Do, are we going to see more open source systems? Are we, is, is this the bones of something quite significant over the next few years? I think... It depends what you mean by significant. Like you said, this is significant to a certain percentage of people. There are some people who will only run open source software on their PCs. There are people who will never touch Windows. And for them, this is going to open VR to them. Obviously, the problem is that you know the vast majority of PC VR content does not support Linux. And Proton, which is what the Steam Deck uses to run Windows content on Linux, really just does not work well for VR compared to how well it works for non-VR content. So it's significant for some people, but I don't think it'll have a market significance unless, as you're kind of alluding to, a company decides to build a hardware product around this. Perhaps they build a standalone headset that runs uh, Linux, that uses Monado's desktop system, that uses Monado's uh, inside-out head tracking, that uses its hand tracking, and they kind of build a product around this. They would still need to actually fund useful content for it, but you know, at least they would have the ability to do that. Some people are pointing out in the comments that you can already kind of use hand tracking on PC via virtual desktop. But what that does is emulates a controller. You're still, you're not really having your full kind of dexterity of your fingers and doing these hand tracking based interactions. It's just a very kind of crude emulation of a controller where your hands are kind of merged into different systems like I'm kind of pretending to use here. It's not really full fidelity hand tracking. So now I'm going to get into my commentary. I've been holding off on it for as much as I can of this show. Um, we watch closely what Valve is doing. We are waiting to see if they're going to follow up the index with something new. These pieces look like uh, exactly what you would expect out of a dev kit for the next generation of what they would want to do, right? I, I would want these features on index as a developer and i would want to know that valve is going to support hand tracking games in its uh you know steam system somehow before i would ever consider making a game for that ecosystem but what i wanted to what i wanted to contextualize is what do you think is a fair way of describing the 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 current hand tracking library, like you described it as industrial or like uh, limited use cases. But I would say that there's maybe 15 to 20 interesting hand tracking apps for the consumer market. Uh, and none of them, none of them you're going to want to spend more than three hours in, I would think. I, I That would be the upper limit of like, how long you're going to want to spend with that specific hand tracking app. Now we've just come off of the launch of the PlayStation VR two system and meta put out a statement saying, uh, 42 of the 49 launch window apps are already available or planned for coming to quest. 
that was a very, very interesting statement to receive from Meta because you can look at that statement as strength in either direction, right? You could see Meta saying that they're being strong with what they've got. And I could see that also as being a strong statement of how how strong Sony has emerged right on day one or in the first month, getting more than two dozen of good games from the existing sort of competitors platform. It's a big deal. Like that's a lot. Um, You talked about meta needing when we were talking privately about meta needing to have like 50% of its library. I don't know if that's necessarily the same bar to consider as just a couple dozen great, you know, good games plus one or two that you're going to want to spend three plus hours in, right? Like that would be a good launch library to actually come out with. And you were throwing out this number of like, how much money did Sony spend to prepare its launch library? If it's, it was 42 of 49 games, that's uh, just what half a dozen games that are exclusive to the Sony platform. And they spent, tens or ultimately maybe a hundred million dollars plus to get those exclusive games and lure devs over to the platform and make a, a launch what i'm all what i'm building toward here is is there still a possibility in the next two years that valve could fund that kind of a launch for a standalone vr system could they rally devs to build, you know, one to two dozen hand tracking games and then bring over 40 plus Quest uh, and Pico games and then also have a, sort of a great system that you can plug into your PC as well? Is that, are we going to get there? Am I dreaming? I think there's every possibility. It's not a question of possibility, though. It's a question of will. The You know, some reports have suggested that there is a section of Valve that is very passionate about VR and believes and cares about VR. And there is a much larger section of Valve that believes that you know VR is either not important or that Valve isn't the right company to make a contribution in VR or take significant market share or that you know this, the efforts so far have failed. What did we see with the index? What did Valve actually fund for the index? They released a massive, incredible, amazing game, Half-Life Alex. They funded... Uh, that portal demo from Cloudhead Games, and then nothing. For three years, they have not released any significant new title for the index. They have not funded new content. They have not done anything from a content perspective. And what what pattern does that mirror? Exactly what happened with the Vive. Valve was the software partner for the HTC Vive. They talked about all of these cool demos that released on launch. They teased the idea of three major games coming and nothing. Valve has not at any point shown a willingness to fund the kind of content that Meta and Sony has that actually makes a platform grow significantly in the long term. Yeah, all right. So there's two complicated things to make sure we we don't mix up, I guess, right? Hand tracking as a game input, right? Like we we still have yet to have games built from the ground up for really high quality hand track. And we don't we don't know what that feels like to our, you know, to our hands yet, right? I think a few of the quest hand tracking titles were built for the ground up for it. You know, you have four VR darts, 
uh, you have the guitar game that's completely gone out of my head. Unplugged, right yeah. Uh, Unplugged, yeah. You know, and, and each of these games have very specific interactions that are like made to m- maximize their coverage for the current like state of hand tracking. They're not necessarily the most natural ways you're always going to stand or want to play the game. Like it's not working in the range of ways a, a sixed off controller is working. There's there's still, I guess I'm arguing that minimum bar, but there's a certain segment of people who just devs even who aren't inspired by hand tracking in the same way that they're inspired by controller tracking. And there's plenty of gamers out there who uh, imagining lack of haf- haptic feedback is a hard thing to overcome. Like it, it's just, it's a non-starter. Why even consider it? Um, but I want to, I want to take all that context in there and say, aren't we working towards VR headsets in the future operating from when you turn them on by hand tracking only? Like, shouldn't that be the default way you interact with your headsets and then you bring an assortment of controllers into the experience as a second layer beyond that? I think it's almost certain that that is what will happen in the longer term. And that doesn't mean that controllers will go away. It doesn't mean that developers will stop making games that only work for controllers. But there is a much larger market of people who do not own VR today that simply do not want to play with a game controller split in half. They want to just interact naturally with their hands. And, you know, two points I'd make here is that I would really recommend that people try the demo that I that we were sort of referred to very briefly at the start of this. If you just search uh, hand tracking on uploadvr.com, you'll see the demo I'm talking about and just see the range of interactions that are in that demo that you may not have thought hand tracking was capable of, but actually is. And then the other point I would make was what I was making earlier when we talked about hand tracking, which I'm seeing a lot of people in the comments do, and conflating the current quality of hand tracking on Quest headsets with the potential of hand tracking if you had very high quality hand tracking. And the difference is really significant. So a lot of people are saying, you know, they don't like hand tracking because it's kind of fiddly and, you know, the the quality and the jitter. Forget about that for a second and imagine that your hand tracking is perfect. Imagine that exactly as you see your hands in front of you now, they are translated one-to-one in the headset, regardless of where your hands are, regardless of how fast they move, regardless of how much you kind of mix your hands together. That technology is coming in the next few years. So the question is, what will developers be able to do with that tech? And I think we've seen a lot of, you say some developers, most developers aren't really enthused by that, but there are other developers who very much so are. Uh, you know, Push Matrix was someone who was very enthused by the potential of hand tracking. Uh, some of the developers of Job Simulator have, have been very enthused by the potential of hand tracking. And I think there will be an, a new generation of VR and AR developers that come along and are just as enthused by hand tracking. Again, I want to be clear, I don't think it's going to replace controllers. It's not about replacing controllers. It's about offering a different kind of game for perhaps a different kind of gamer. See, I wonder if we have any Valve any Valve employees out there watching us. I, I know we've got fans at different companies that watch us and curious what we say, but when I heard you recapping Vive and then Index, you know, it seems like such... Yeah, I guess you could view it that way, but what I see is a company that fought off Meta's $100 billion uh, investment over that same period with a partnership that de-risked their entry into the market. 
Then I saw them bring what they could in-house with the second generation. Then I saw them release a stand, you know, uh, a, you know, follow through on the promise of a PC based handheld that you could go and, you know, change out the operating system if you want and hack it. You know, they're following through on their promises there. What I'm seeing are DK ones and DK two for the valve ecosystem out of those things. And what I think we've got as a hand tracking based system is, is their first real consumer product if they do it right. But that's not how the Vive and the Index were pitched. And Valve is a multi-billion dollar company. It's one of the most profitable tech companies out there. The idea that Valve, if Valve wanted to, they could have funded a plethora of full VR games for the Vive. They could have funded a plethora of full VR games for the Index. They chose not to. They have the funding to do it. But no. unlike Sony and Meta, they chose not to. No, I well, no. What I'm getting at there, though, is their platform, their development platform, and building for it. Steam is still the place where, d- d- despite the ground they've lost to App Lab, I would still argue early access in Steam is a very strong contender for you to consider as your route to kind of like testing out your idea and getting to market. And that's like a core, like on ramp to the entire Steam ecosystem that is still going very, very strong for them. I don't, what I'm saying is they didn't have to invest at the level Meta and Sony did just to achieve uh, that number of active VR users. They could still, if they wanted to, spend what they need to to do an all in one standalone system that interacts or is a PC and interacts with other PCs in ways that that fundamentally sit right with a certain segment of the audience out there. Sure, but there's a much wider potential of actually had content. The vast majority of gamers do not want to buy an expensive piece of hardware to play indie demos. They want to play full games. The Steam Deck worked because because it's much lower resolution than a typical monitor or TV screen, it can play the entirety of Steam games. Valve didn't have to fund content. They can just piggyback off the existing PC content market. VR isn't like that. There is, they can't just piggyback off a platform because Steam VR's content will not directly run on a standalone. They'll have to have some level of porting there. They'll have to port over titles that are today available on Quest and on PlayStation VR. And that requires a much bigger commitment than just putting out hardware and platform. Valve is very, very good at building a great platform that developers love. But consumers want more than a platform. They want content that actually fills out that platform, compelling AAA-style content that Sony is clearly uh, you know, prepared to fund when it comes to the likes of Horizon and making sure that uh, Gran Turismo and Resident Evil have support on launch. And Meta is obviously, you know, funding, though you can argue about whether Meta is very good at spending money on the right kind of games people want. They are at least very clearly spending that money. And I would love to see Valve do the same. I really, really would. But it's just not what we've seen any indication of so far. Yeah, I, I think I get what you're saying. It's not wrong. It's 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 all in the right direction. I'm What I'm just thinking about is... Uh, the very highest levels of these companies, they aim for their competitors' margins as their as their ways of getting into the market. And Steam has protected their, you know, their sales margin on on how much 
money they get from each developer sale for as long as they can. But industry-wide, from Epic Games to uh, Google and Apple, everyone is getting pressured to those those fees becoming negotiable or being changed going forward. Uh, what does what is Valve willing to sacrifice in order to draw those those gamers in? It doesn't it doesn't make sense like for them to necessarily fund a whole bunch of devs. Maybe that, that doesn't seem like their style, but foregoing uh, steam fees. I don't know for, for a certain length of time to build a market share. I don't, I don't know how they go about it, but it's, those are the types of things that I would expect them to consider. Like they, I Gabe has gone on record saying it was very hard to accept the steam decks pricing. I wouldn't, you know, I could see them as testing the waters for a big, bigger, more ambitious thing to do with their next, their next journey. So Valve actually did try some of that in the HTC Vive days. They tried giving developers kind of an advance on their Steam fees, so they didn't have to pay Steam, uh, Steam's percentage of the game until they'd actually made back their investment cost. And you know that obviously helps some developers choose to come to Steam, but it's still not enough. And I think. The problem is that Valve's incentive, in a way, has actually kind of evaporated here because the original incentive for Valve to push hard on Steam VR as a platform was that uh, Facebook was starting to care so much. Well, they did care at the start so much about PC. You know, all of their funding of content for VR content for those first years were on PC. They were trying to get people specifically to not use Steam for a category of PC gaming, and that's where Valve obviously saw the threat and that's why they start funding steam vr they start funding the htz vive and eventually the index but with microsoft's pc vr platform evaporating and meta pushing all of their focus completely away from pc vr into standalone vr i see that there's really less of an incentive for valve to care because their position on pc is secure if you're releasing a pc vr game today you release it on steam regardless of what headset you're using you're still paying valve that 30 percent so there's not really an incentive for Valve to start making these fundamental platform shifts unless they see that in the long term, a larger percentage of people's overall gaming spend starts to go into standalone headsets to the point where it starts to threaten Steam. Yeah, I, and I, I guess what, I've, what I'm trying to get across when we talked about hand tracking being this fundamental, like what you use from the outside of the system, but you still need to have game controllers, right? Over at Meta, those executives are believing that they're in an accelerating curve, right? That each generation that they ship next is going to get a larger market share than the previous one. And it's going to be way higher than the previous generations. And there's like this belief or assumption that Valve doesn't see that same curve happening. Uh, and I, I don't agree with that. Like I, if, if, Meta is accurate and that curve is happening and we are seeing uh, the acceleration like it. That's why Apple would choose this year to ship its device. They think it's the right moment to have a minimum viable feature set as a system. And I don't see why why Valve wouldn't get there as well. I, I don't think Apple shipping this year because they think the minimum viable feature set is reached. Apple is intended to ship a long time ago and the you know the project's been held back by reportedly these engineering issues and a massive change of scope and you know in the past few years just fundamentally getting the product to not 
to work in a functional way where it doesn't overheat and it doesn't have you know these complete issues with with tracking and pass through. I think you know we we know that Valve is working on a headset. We know that Valve from from its job listings. We know that Valve is working on a standalone headset that has all these features. It has hand tracking. It has inside out tracking. It has that color pass through for mixed reality. I don't doubt Valve's ability to ship that hardware. It's just when do they decide is the right time? As you alluded to, what do they decide is the right margin? Or do they decide that they actually take a loss on each unit? What does Valve put the value of this project to its larger company for? And just to respond to some comments, James O'Loughlin saying that we're vastly overestimating the size of Valve. Valve is a north of $10 billion a year revenue company. You're saying that they're the same size of Etsy? No, they're 10 times the size of Etsy. Etsy, well, sorry, five times. Etsy is a company that makes around $2 billion a year revenue. Valve makes $12 billion roughly a year revenue. Valve is a massive north of $10 billion revenue company. It is not some tiny little small fry. We've seen with the Steam Deck, it can compete with console makers. It can ship these great projects. It has a, it's not just that it has a lot of revenue, it has a lot of profit. You know, they're operating a storefront where their costs are just the cost of hosting which over the past 10 years has has essentially become almost marginal now. The cost of hosting and distributing data to people is really just not significant at all for any of the major platforms that do it as the you know advancements in storage and server tech have improved. Yeah, there's a lot to continue talking about. The way the way I think about the the shift that happened uh is that from from around 2016 to 2019 a PC was kind of the core way to have the best VR experience in the market. You could go and get a PlayStation 4 and have a good experience during that same period. Uh, but the best experience was was that route. Then 2019 Quest arrives, and it changes the discussion, right? It becomes a PC isn't a value add uh, to your standalone uh, experience. And I think there's just there's pent up desire and need for uh, Valve to follow up its index platform with what it represents as the next development platform for VR on its on its systems. Uh, we can argue and debate, but when I see a Valve index that's capable of doing six off hand six off head tracking from inside out and head tracking from inside out. I'm I'm seeing the beginnings of those next steps. For sure, I you know I guess there is another. I'm going to play another sort of cynical take here, but the thing that it also makes me wonder is why didn't Valve do this? You come on, if, if these open source developers are able to do this, why in the index has been on the market for almost four years now? Why at no point did we get anything like this? The Valve talked about there being exciting computer vision applications of the Index's front cameras. And we got 3D room for you, the 3D pass-through, which is great, but it was made by an outside company. Uh, you know, We saw some software improvements, but there was a lot of talk about other uses of the Index. There was that entire front port that had a USB and a big slot in the middle. And again, there was a lot of talk about all the potential applications like that. And you know, someone made a fan for it, which was pretty cool and it was useful, but you know, it just it just seems that <laughs> with these, you know, these Valve these Valve headsets release in VR, and there's all of this promise, and there's all of this potential, and Valve just doesn't follow through on it. And it's, I don't, I'm not saying this I, because 
I don't want them to. I would love them to follow through on it. I really, really would. But I'm just, I, I will believe it when I see it. I get it. I get I, I hate, I, I both value and understand that perspective, but I hate it at the same time because it seems like the, the flip of that argument is Meta has just misspent how many billions of dollars to arrive at the same place. Like, the index has been the top seller on Steam's platform for years. There is an install base there of people using index regularly. And it's not clear to us whether it's 1 million or 5 million, right? Or like, you know, where in that range it is. We don't know what that active user base is because the Steam hardware survey has, has jumped around so much, but it's, well, I, I don't agree with that. I think if you look at the hard, people say this about the hardware survey, it's jumped around, but it really hasn't. The percentage of people that are using the index on the hardware survey has stayed remarkably consistent over the past few years. If you map that to the number of Steam monthly active users, you can get a rough estimate of how many people use the index. And, you know, it's not as big as other platforms, but, you know, it's, it's great hardware. Again, I'm not criticizing the hardware. It's just, I think those people that are still using it are using it in spite of the content investment. And yes, you point out how much Meta spent, but look at how much Sony spent. I don't think Sony spent in VR significantly more than Valve would be capable of. Look at Pico. Pico is even being able, hasn't spent more than Valve would, would be capable of doing if they wanted to. Meta's yeah. misspending is not a kind of defensive, not spending at all. <laughs> spending it all they shipped they shipped dev kits that inspired devs that's that's i guess what i'm saying and yeah they didn't follow through and they were overshadowed i guess in other ways but that doesn't necessarily mean that the time isn't right for them to you know release a threequel right you know release the the long-awaited perfection that is the third uh the third dev kit but you know maybe that's just uh, four years yeah Oh, I, I'm well, not even asking them to do that. I'm just asking them to pay pay a couple of the best PC VR developers a couple of million each to build some great games for Steam VR. That's all I'm asking. Oh, uh, I, I can't remember of if their I shared. Revenue. I can't remember if I shared this anecdote with you, uh, David, or or not, or whether it was on a show with with Kyle. But I was at CES uh, and I was walking with Andrew, the current head of Alchemy Labs. And we're walking down uh, towards the CS uh, show floor, and uh, a third person walks up beside us, and it's a Valve engineer. And uh, we both uh, more or less joked with him that uh, we've been waiting for a follow-up. And the only comment that I can really convey, paraphrased uh, from this short little interaction, was uh, the Valve engineer acknowledging that the index is an aging device, right? You know, the, you know, Valve isn't a, a lot, you know, unaware that the market has moved forward. I, I all I'm more or less arguing is that uh, if they can get the core platform right with a handful of people, if they can, here's all right. Uh, Carmack has just left. John Carmack has just left Meta complaining that it's so darn bloated it's impossible to do anything at anywhere near the speed that it should get done like he's an engineer who's very aware that for 10 hours of input in of work i can get this many features out of my design and he's looking at an organization of tens of thousands of people going this is ridiculous right this is like i should i could take a an action team of just a few people and deliver something incredible right what we're what we as fans what we as watchers of this industry 
look at Valve and see is an organization that fits what John Carmack is begging for Meta to do, right? Like they have the capabilities to, with a handful of people, do exactly what Carmack is saying, that it's super hard for, for Meta to do. And I think, you know, to, we, us as watchers all want them to actually go and show some competitive spirit and deliver deliver in that way. Uh, so I don't know if we're actually going to get there. But, uh, yeah, I think that's a good summary. Is that I think that's a good way of thinking about what people want, right? Yeah. And, you know, like I, I'll say again, I really, really hope it happens. And to be clear, I very much so expect that Valve will, in fact, ship a headset and controllers in the next year or two. I did, did see the writing is all on the wall from the uh, from the driver references found by sadly it's Bradley and his associates to the job listings posted by Valve to some of the patents that Valve has filed for. It's very clear that they are working on this hardware. I think it's going to be great hardware, and you know my only cynicism is about whether they'll have the content backing to really make it something that millions of people want to buy. Makes sense. Well, uh, it is wonderful to have you back on the show, David Heaney. Thank you so much to our commenters for the amazing discussion this week. I uh, I think we're going to have a lot of interesting things to talk about in the coming weeks. Uh, my inbox has been very overwhelmed by news coming from uh, people I haven't heard from in a long time. Right, they're they're popping up with game announcements and open source announcements and it just it's vr is alive in a way that it hasn't really been in a in a couple years and it's really exciting moments and i can't wait to see what's next thank you again to our audience we'll see you in the future thanks so much everyone great to be back and really great to see the quality of discussion in the comments again